0: Hi, everybody. It's Derek, and this is your Foreign Exchanges World News Roundup for Saturday, January 7th, and Sunday, January 8th, 2023. Welcome back, everybody. It's been a long break, um, maybe too long in some ways and not long enough in other ways, Uh, but I'm glad to be back uh, and glad you're all back here uh, checking out the newsletter. Uh, I want to say a belated Merry Christmas to uh, those who are observing the Orthodox holiday. Um, So uh, with that, yeah, let's not belabor this. Let's get into it. Uh, A couple of anniversaries. On January 7th in the year 1610, Galileo Galilei mentioned in a letter. Uh, his discovery of three of the four Galilean moons of Jupiter—those are Callisto, Europa, Ganymede, and Ida, Io. Excuse me. Uh, this is the first time that Galileo documented having observed the moons, although he apparently had not yet realized what they were. He initially assumed them to be fixed stars. Uh, That's what he says in the letter, apparently. Uh, But over the days and weeks after writing the letter, he determined that they were in fact moons and then discovered the fourth uh, of the four of them. Uh, On January 7th, 1942, the Imperial Japanese Army laid siege to U.S. and Philippine forces on Luzon Island's Bataan Peninsula. Uh, The beleaguered U.S. and Philippine soldiers held out for a bit over three months, but finally surrendered to Japan on April 9th. Some 78,000 soldiers surrendered, 12,000 of them American, uh, which is one of the largest single surrenders in U.S. military history. Over 20,000 Philippine soldiers and hundreds of U.S. prisoners uh, subsequently died in the ensuing Bataan Death March uh, to the city of San Fernando uh, due to the brutality, mostly uh, due to the uh, brutality both of the march itself and the brutality with which uh, the Japanese military treated the captives along the way. Uh, On January 8th, 1926, Abdulaziz ibn Saud was crowned king of the Hejaz, adding that kingdom to his original dominion in the Nejd, which is in sort of central Arabia. This personal uh, union—he was known as King of the Hejaz and the uh, Nejd—lasted for six years. Uh, It became the nucleus of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Uh, In 1932, Ibn Saud unified the two kingdoms, uh, as well as the Kingdom of Al-Hassa, which is east uh, of the Nejd, uh, into a single state. He later added uh, three other regions in the south uh, of what is today Saudi Arabia after a 1934 war with Yemen. Uh, On to the news. In the Middle East, in Syria, the Rebel National Liberation Front Coalition says that its fighters killed three Syrian soldiers and wounded three more in western Aleppo province on Saturday. As far as I know, this claim is unconfirmed. If true, the circumstances surrounding the clash are unclear. Uh, The NLF's umbrella organization, the Syrian National Army, uh, put that in quotes, also claimed that its forces battled Syrian Democratic Forces fighters on Saturday near Afrin. Uh, Details on that led encounter are similarly unclear. Speaking of the SDF, uh, Turkish Defense Minister Hulusi Akar hinted on Wednesday that a, uh, about a possible uh, expansion of joint Turkish-Russian patrols in northern Syria. This would be part of a Russian attempt to forestall a new Turkish invasion of parts of that region that are still under SDF control. It could also A step towards something the Russian government has been after for some time now, which is namely uh, a meeting between Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan and Syrian President Bashar al Assad. Uh, A thaw in relations between Ankara and Damascus would seriously undermine the position of Syria's remaining rebels, uh, which are dependent on Turkish support, uh, and would thus go a long way towards securing Russia's policy aims in Syria. Moscow has brokered a couple of high level Syrian Turkish meetings uh, of late, most recently. Uh, Between their respective defense ministers late last month, uh, an Erdogan-Assad meeting would uh, probably be the final step before a more formal diplomatic reopening between the two countries. A large aid convoy entering northern Syria on Sunday via Turkey highlighted the fact that the United Nations Security Council is scheduled to vote Monday on extending that cross-border aid mission for another six months. According to the Associated Press, Russia, which has argued that all aid shipments in Syria should be conducted via the Syrian government rather than from outside the country, is expected to abstain from Monday's vote rather than vetoing it, which should mean that the extension will pass. I'm not clear on why. Uh, they're planning to abstain or if they are uh, who knows what what may happen uh, in Israel uh, well yes in Israel let's go with that Israel- Palestine uh, thousands of people turned out in Tel Aviv on Saturday to protest newly installed Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his ultra right-wing government Netanyahu and friends are moving quickly to implement a list of far-right priorities uh, perhaps most importantly a measure that would effectively strip the Israeli Supreme Court of its authority the court has been a thorn in the Israeli right side for some time now, what with its occasional insistence on things like basic human rights for Palestinians and or immigrants. Uh, The gang intends to pass a law allowing the Knesset to override court rulings with a simple majority vote, which, uh, as I say, would effectively strip the court uh, of its power. The new government has also hit the ground running uh, with respect to Palestinian issues directly with new National Security Minister uh, Inamar Ben-Gvir making a provocative visit to the Al-Aqsa slash Temple Mount site on Tuesday that may have been intended to spark a Palestinian uprising. It seems not to have done so, though it did spark a fair amount of international criticism. And look, these guys have only been in office for a couple of weeks, so I think they need some time to cook if they're going to really generate a new uh, intifada, let's say. Uh, They're reportedly planning a massive expulsion of Palestinians from the Masafar yatta Hamlet in the southern West Bank uh, in order to turn that site into, uh, I kid you not, an Israeli military training ground. Uh, this would involve the expulsion of more than 1,000 people, would be one of the largest such incidents since Israel seized the West Bank during the 1967 Six-Day War. Uh, Netanyahu's cabinet has also begun revoking travel documents from senior Palestinian Authority officials and is withholding Palestinian Authority tax revenues over payments the Palestinian government makes to the families of Palestinians who are killed or imprisoned by Israeli authorities. Uh, In Iran, the Danish foreign ministry says it will summon Iran's ambassador in Copenhagen on Monday to lodge a formal protest over the Iranian government's treatment of protesters. Specifically, the ministry is expressing outrage over the executions announced on Saturday of two more imprisoned demonstrators. Iranian authorities have now executed at least four people in connection with the Masa Amini protests, with another nine currently on the Iranian equivalent of death row. That's in addition to the hundreds uh, allegedly killed by Iranian security forces during the protests. Uh, In Asia and Afghanistan, the Afghan government's systematic exclusion of women from public life is hampering aid delivery, according to uh, Norwegian Refugee Council boss Jan Egeland. He's not just referring to the restoration of funds to the Afghan Central Bank, uh, which Western governments have tied to the Taliban's treatment of women. Aid agencies are often unwilling to abide by Taliban restrictions on women's rights. And at any rate, Afghan authorities have now barred women from working for international NGOs, one way or the other uh, which is is difficult for these agencies because they employ women in part to interact with other local women, for example, uh, in female-headed households, which is something that the Taliban's own ideology prevents male NGO staffers from doing. Uh, Egeland is in Afghanistan and is apparently hoping right now and is apparently hoping to uh, meet with senior Taliban officials uh, to sort of press his case on this issue. I expect he will not have uh, much success. In Pakistan, unspecified militants attacked a Pakistani police vehicle in Khyber, Pakhtunkhwa province uh, on Saturday, killing one police officer. There has been no claim of responsibility, but this is almost certainly the work of the Pakistani Taliban. Uh, in Myanmar, Myanmar's ruling junta appears to be preparing to hold some sort of election, as it's reached out in recent months to a number of ethnic militant groups about conducting set election on the territories those groups control. Uh, authorities are currently meeting with officials from three militant groups the National Democratic Alliance Army, the Shan State Progress Party, and the United WA State Party, uh, that for the most part have stayed out of the civil war slash internal fighting, whatever you want to call it, that Myanmar has seen since the military seized power in February 2021. Uh, There is not yet any indication as to when this election might be held or what exactly it might entail, uh, either in terms of the offices that would be up for grabs or the rules under which they would be contested. Uh, The election could offer a path out of military rule, though I suspect it will only entrench military rule under a veneer of, let's say, democratic legitimacy. In China, the overall impact of the lifting of China's zero COVID policy last month remains unclear. Uh, but World Health Organization Emergencies Director Mike Ryan said earlier this month that the uh, WHO believes official Chinese figures underrepresent uh, the extent of COVID infections and deaths since lockdown policies were relaxed last month. Uh, anecdotal evidence suggests fairly widespread infections uh, in many cities. Uh, it sounds like Chinese authorities may be using uh, what I guess we could euphemistically call a highly refined definition of what constitutes a COVID-related death, presumably in an effort to keep that figure as low as uh, could reasonably be uh, claimed. Uh, so it's, it's really unclear uh, just how widespread things are. The Chinese government has, has rescinded just this weekend, uh, rescinded quarantine requirements for people who are returning from overseas travel, which should spark an increase in the number of people who go overseas to travel uh, since they now no longer have to quarantine upon their return. Uh, but uh, China's domestic COVID status or whatever information countries can get about it uh, will partly determine how those travelers are received in the countries to which they intend to travel. Uh, many uh, In many cases, there are Already being subject to mandatory testing, um, I don't know that things will get to the point of mandatory quarantine. But um, you know, this is this is not an unrelated issue. It it, it helps these other countries uh, kind of decide how they should treat travelers from China. So uh, the, the questions about uh, exactly what's going on are, are you know will have repercussions for people. Uh, In Africa and Mali, Mali's ruling junta has pardoned the 49 uh, Ivory Coast soldiers it arrested back in July— You may recall uh, from that incident that Malian authorities accused the Ivorians of entering the country without permission as basically mercenaries, though it was pretty clear at the time that they were attached to the UN's Mali peacekeeping operation. The UN later did admit to some procedural failures surrounding their deployment uh, to Mali, but the junta's reaction still seemed, to put it mildly, a bit excessive. Uh, Late last month, the junta court sentenced 46 of the Ivorians to 20 years in prison. Prison. Uh, The other three had been given death sentences, but only after uh, they were released. So that was a a stage-managed process. They were released and then convicted in absentia. Uh, The pardoned soldiers, the 46 of them who were still in Malian custody, returned to Ivory Coast on Saturday. In Burkina Faso, relations between that country's ruling junta and the French government took another downturn last Monday when the junta asked Paris to recall its ambassador from Ouagadougou. It's unclear why, uh, but the French Burkina Bay relationship seems to be following the same general pattern that's played out in Mali and the Central African Republic, to pick two examples, uh, where governments that had previously been somewhat dependent on France for security assistance are turning instead to Russia— Uh, It must be said this has not resulted in any improvement in their security situation, uh, but they are consequently cutting ties with Paris. In Benin, Beninese voters headed to the polls on Sunday to elect themselves a new parliament. Uh, The results won't be available for a few days, but the election is already something of a milestone in that opposition parties are apparently participating, which is something that was not the case in the previous election, 2019. Uh, Only two parties met the uh, abnormally strict requirements for entry into the 2019 field. Both of them were affiliated with President Patrice uh, Talon, uh, which kind of took some of the suspense out of the election. Uh, But it did contribute to unrest surrounding the election. This time around, the field is wider and expectations are that there will not be a repeat of that unrest. Uh, in Somalia, Somali Deputy Defense Minister Abdi Fatah Qasim claimed on Saturday that Ash Shabaab leaders are requesting talks with the Somali government. This would be the first time uh, in that group's history that they had done so. Uh, there's no confirmation of this claim, and al-Shabaab has unsurprisingly not commented. Uh, that said, Qasem's claim does make a certain amount of sense, what with al-Shabaab currently embroiled in what appears to be a losing campaign against a joint militia-government opposition in central Somalia's Hershebel Estate and a government effort to root out and eliminate the group's revenue sources. Qasem suggested that the government is prepared to engage with Somali members of al-Shabaab who are willing to surrender but would insist that the group's foreign contingent leave Somalia altogether. In the Democratic Republic of the Congo, according to the UN, there are indications that the M23 militia is still actively seizing territory in the eastern DRC's North Kivu province in violation of a ceasefire that was supposed to have taken effect on December 23rd. Under the terms of that ceasefire to which M23 says it is committed, the group was to have withdrawn from a number of areas it had already seized. Needless to say, uh, the UN is also indicating that they haven't done much of that either. M23 has denied these UN allegations and it does. Have until January 15th to complete the first withdrawals envisioned under the ceasefire. Um, it sounds like the East African Community Peacekeeping Force, which is uh, sort of taking possession of these places as M23 pulls out, or is supposed to be anyway, uh, is waiting for that deadline before it reevaluates the situation. On to Europe. There are a number of items from Ukraine. Unsurprisingly, uh, the Russian military adopted a 36-hour ceasefire on Friday to mark Christmas on the Orthodox calendar, but it sounds like nobody in Ukraine noticed since the Russians never actually ceased firing. Russian artillery continued to be active across the front line throughout the alleged lull, uh, with Russian officials later justifying the shelling as a response to multiple Ukrainian attacks. The Ukrainians, for what it's worth, rejected the ceasefire as a ploy shortly after the Russians announced it. Uh, The Russians acknowledged that at least 63 of their soldiers were killed on January 1st, New Year's Day, in a Ukrainian artillery strike that hit a building housing Russian conscripts in Ukraine's Oblast, uh, The strike raised a bit of outrage among Russian war commentators who accused the Russian military of unspecified errors that may have led to the attack and or exacerbated its effects. Russian officials blamed the soldiers themselves for using cell phones and thus drawing Ukrainian attention, which is a bit of victim blaming that doesn't seem to have gone over well with the pro-war crowd. Uh, on Sunday, the Russians claimed to have killed more than 600 Ukrainian soldiers in a retaliatory missile strike on a barracks in Kramatorsk. Uh, but Ukrainian officials are denying that claim. They say there were no casualties and really not much of a strike, just a, a few missiles. So far, there's no independent confirmation either way. So I would say you have to uh, sort of treat that as unconfirmed, let's say, um, Elsewhere, Russia and Ukraine undertook another prisoner swap on Sunday, 50 POWs from each side being repatriated. Uh, The Ukrainian government also on Sunday added 118 people to its expansive Russian sanctions list. Most of these new targets appear to be involved in the arts in some capacity, uh, including opera singer Anna Netrebko. Uh, They will have their any assets they have in Ukraine frozen for at least the next 10 years. Also on Sunday, it emerged that the Ukrainian government had stripped 13 clergy members of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church of their citizenship last month. The details around this are unclear, including the reason for their denaturalizations. Presumably, they are accused of aiding and abetting the Russian war effort in some way. And the Biden administration announced on Friday that it is putting together a whopping $3.75 billion military aid package for Ukraine, uh, including the provision of Bradley Infantry Fighting Vehicles. The Bradley offer was actually announced on Thursday, along with the German pledge to provide Ukraine with martyr infantry fighting vehicles. This came one day after the French government promised to send Ukraine a number of its AMX-10RC armored combat vehicles. Maybe you're sensing a little bit of a trend here. These vehicles are not main battle tanks, which is something the Ukrainians have been requesting, but they are a step in that direction. They are a significant upgrade or escalation in western support um they should could help or will help should help i don't know uh, Ukrainian ground forces move more quickly and bring more firepower to bear along the front line of the conflict. They could even support a new Ukrainian counteroffensive, if one is in the offing. Uh, but more important, I think, is the escalation. This is a, a major step forward for the West uh, and its support for Ukraine to provide these kind of light tanks uh, or armored vehicles, whatever you want to call them. Um, and it... it Indicates once again the pressure to continually, continually kind of boost the level of support a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there. It suggests that if the conflict goes on long enough, uh, the Ukrainians are eventually going to get everything they want. They're going to get tanks. Uh, they're going to get longer-range artillery. Potentially, they're even going to get you know advanced Western aircraft, F-16s, or the like. Uh, I will say some $682 million of this package is actually earmarked not for Ukraine, but for European countries that have provided uh, and the Biden administration hopes will continue to provide weapons and ammunition to Ukraine to help them replenish their own stockpiles. Uh, in Kosovo, on Sunday, Serbian President Aleksandr Vucic revealed to, I assume nobody's surprise, that NATO's K-4 peacekeeping operation in Kosovo had rejected a Serbian government request to deploy its security forces to the northern part of that country. Tensions between the majority Serb population of that area and the Kosovan government have been running high for several weeks now. Uh, Vucic made his request under the terms of the UN resolution that ended the 1998-1999 Kosovo War or at least the Serbian government's interpretation of that resolution. Uh, He acknowledged at the time that he made the request that it was sure to be rejected, but apparently he felt it was important to get NATO's rejection on the record. Uh, In Sweden, Swedish Prime Minister Ulf Christensen told an audience at a conference in Sweden on Sunday that his government will not be able to meet all of the demands that the Turkish government has made in return for approving Sweden's NATO application. Nevertheless, he is apparently confident that Turkey will ultimately agree to allow Sweden into the club. Christensen's main objection appears to relate to extradition. Turkey has requested or demanded the extradition of a number of Swedish residents who are wanted on various charges in Turkey, but Christensen is insisting that those cases be handled within Swedish law, that's a quote from his comments, uh, rather than simply being rubber-stamped because the Turks want it that way. Uh, On to the Americas in Brazil. Supporters of former Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro stormed and ransacked government buildings in Brasilia on Sunday in an assault that had echoes of the January 6, 2021 assault on the U.S. Capitol by supporters of former U.S. President Donald Trump. Uh, Bolsonaro's fans swarmed past security forces, who, it must be said, in the videos I saw, didn't seem especially interested in stopping them uh, to storm the Congress building, the presidential palace, and the offices of the Brazilian Supreme Court. It is entirely unclear what, if anything, they hope to achieve other than having a temper tantrum. Uh, but it doesn't appear that they achieved anything beyond some international condemnation and an angry rebuke from new Brazilian President Luis Inacio Lula da Silva. Uh, a bunch of them also eventually seem to have been arrested. Uh, so I guess they've got that going for them as well uh bolsonaro uh, this is a little bit of an update because we've been away for so long lula obviously is president now bolsonaro is not in brazil uh after having made some tepid efforts to prevent lula's inauguration over the past few months he fled into what looks like a fairly dismal florida exile to avoid potential criminal charges sunday's events are already raising calls in the u.s for his deportation slash extradition back to brazil and it will be interesting to see whether uh and how the Biden administration responds to those calls. Uh, In Cuba, the U.S. Embassy in Havana is once again conducting full consular services, including visa processing. That hasn't been the case since 2017, when the facility cut staff and services over concerns about so-called Havana syndrome, uh, and because the Trump administration was, of course, ideologically committed to rolling back the Obama administration's diplomatic rapprochement with Cuba. Uh, For the past several years, any Cuban hoping to enter the United States had to first travel to Guyana. Uh, to obtain a visa, uh, an onerous requirement that may have helped fuel an increase uh, in the number of Cubans trying to enter the U.S. without proper documentation. Uh, finally, in the United States, the venerable F-35 has had another of its periodic hiccups, wherein the aircraft that's uh, costing the U.S. government $1.7 trillion or more once all of its lifetime costs are added up turns out not to be able to do the main thing you'd like any aircraft to be able to do, which is fly. Uh, the plane's Pratt & Whitney F-135 engine is apparently not quite up to snuff, again, based on an investigation into the crash of an F-35B during a test flight in Texas last month. The engine has been a repeated source of problems for the F-35, but it certainly hasn't been the only source. As I'm sure most of you realize, the entire F-35 program has been a mess almost from the conception of the aircraft, which, as Michael Brennis writes for Jacobin, makes it an appropriate symbol for Washington's military spending problem. Uh, I'll just read you a couple of paragraphs from his piece here. The F-35 now has an over 20-year history. Uh, After the Cold War, the Air Force looked to replace outdated F-16 fighter jets after entertaining competing bids from Lockheed and Boeing. The Pentagon awarded Lockheed with a contract for a new fighter jet in 2001. The F-35 debuted in 2006. For over 15 years, F-35s have rolled off production lines to face a myriad of problems, the weight of the plane, its software, even its ability to maneuver properly. By 2015, after more than a decade of investment, when the plane was still projected to cost under $1 trillion, the F-16 still proved to be the superior plane. Yet the problems that plague the F-35 are historical. They are systemic across the defense industry. Indeed, the F thirty five is not an anomaly. It is a feature, not a bug, of the Defense Act acquisition process, and the public private relationships between the military defense contractors and Congress that trace their origins to the early Cold War. It's a really good piece. I recommend you check it out. And on that note, with my voice already failing, I am going to say, uh, "Welcome back and happy New Year." Uh, hope you all have a great twenty twenty three. We'll be together for all of it or most of it anyway. Uh, Thanks for reading and or listening to the newsletter, and uh, thanks to those of you who are subscribed. If you're not already subscribed, please consider it. Uh, You get a lot of, uh, I think, good content, and uh, you make it possible for me to continue doing the newsletter itself. So uh, with that, um, uh, I don't have anything else. Uh, And as I said, my voice is failing, so I'm going to go now. Uh, Take care, and uh, until next time, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.